This is the Narrative Shift Podcast, where we talk about faith, justice, race, and everything in between. Hey, I'm Terrence Lester. And I'm Johnny Taylor. And uh, thanks for tuning in. What is up? You're listening to episode 17 of Narrative Shift. Uh, Today, man, I wanted to talk a little bit about Trayvon Martin, uh, because we just had... um, Let's see, February, what was it? It was February the 5th, man. The 5th, okay. Yeah, 1995 is the actual day that Trayvon was born. Yeah. And uh, five days ago, uh, it's February the 10th, but yep. he, he would have been 25 would've years been old. 25. And then coming up the 26th is the, I think, eighth uh, year, like eighth year since he uh, was Shot yeah. and killed. Yeah, so it happened uh, February 26, 2012 in Sanford, uh, Florida. So it, it will be the eighth year of uh, Trayvon's death, untimely death. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been outcry even now, man, all over social media, uh, both outcry and um, just, uh, you know, kind of celebrating his life. Uh, I know on my time timeline, I see people uh, still posting pictures of Trayvon Martin just celebrating his life and uh, talking about the issue of how he was young. He had so much life to live. He had so much potential left, but uh, that was taken away on uh, February the 26th, uh, eight years ago, almost, uh, by George Zimmerman. Yeah, who recently opened up a defamation case against Trayvon's family. Um, right. In regards to that whole, uh, the whole case. Right. Earlier. Which is, um, it's very hurtful, man, yeah. uh, specifically for, you know, the African American community because, you know, uh, those staying your ground laws in Florida, uh, uh, uh kind of like gave him the ability to go free literally on murder, uh, because that's what it was. I mean, even when you you look back and you listen to all of the audio and him interacting with the police on those calls, them telling him uh, not to pursue uh, this kid. It was a young kid, man, wearing a hoodie with iced tea and uh, uh, a pack of Skittles. Yeah. uh, Unarmed. And his life was taken away. And, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, Zimmerman even sold a gun. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that killed. For a lot of money, too. Yeah. Over $200,000. Yeah. Uh, which was another uh, slap in the face as it relates to the respect of black life uh, in this country. And so, um, you know, I, I can't even imagine what, what his his mother and uh, father uh, still feel, you know, because this was a national story. They probably can't even uh, escape uh some of the pain and the grief and of the loss of their, of their child, even to this day. Yeah. Yeah, man, I would imagine. So, yeah. Um, but man, you, uh, actually wrote a letter. Uh, it's called an open apology to Trayvon Martin. Um, when did you write this letter? So I wrote this letter. It would have been three years ago now, 2017 around the same time, three years ago. And, you know, I read the letter. Uh, I thought it was very powerful. Uh, was this 
let her post it anywhere or yeah we actually uh i wrote it for a a website um that it, it's like a blog like okay. a christian blog and okay. they wanted to do a series on black history month so every day they had different um you know authors and uh, writers come in and write a piece every single day about black history and i um felt that i i wanted to write a piece about trayvon oh wow so i did that and uh sent it in and got it published wow that's um that's pretty powerful and they actually published it they did and they got a, ba- a lot of backlash uh, lost a couple hundred followers or something like that. Yeah, man, and I can't wait to uh, talk a little bit about that backlash, but um, right. also like some of the content, man. And right out the gate, man, um, I'll read the opening uh, sentence and then I'll go down a couple of sentences because I want to read and interact with you um, about you know your heart behind this letter. And it says, "Dear Trayvon, lately God has been showing me how bad." I am at apologizing, how I don't ask for forgiveness. So here is an apology to you for a sin now only God can forgive me of. And in this first uh, paragraph, man, you go on to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you typing on the keyboard and you you thinking about the day that he uh, actually lost his life. Um, but you also speak about something very uh, important for the context of this podcast. Uh, you say, I remember justifying your death. I'll be honest. At the time, I didn't know what racism was. So take us back to that moment where, I mean, obviously, how old are you now, man? I'm actually 25. You're 25. Yeah. So three years ago, you were 22 years old, young white male, um, Christian uh, in our country and you're wrestling with not knowing what racism was or, you know, take us back to that moment and what really caused you to have this awakening of being aware that racism is still uh, alive and, 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 you know, prevalent in our country. Yeah. So, yeah, at the, at the uh, time of the death of Trayvon, like, you know, like I'd been totally, um, I guess, sheltered from the realities of racism. Like, I didn't, mm. like, it didn't even occur to me that that would be a factor in this. Like, I remember uh, seeing a video with an interview um, with George Zimmerman, like, uh, the day after um, the killing, and uh, it was him, like, walking the police through like everything that happened that night and i remember thinking like oh like obviously this guy acted in self-defense like Mm. clearly there was no other reason like so this whole whole even like narrative of racism like wasn't even in my mind at the time and over the years and we'll talk a little bit more about this uh later on in the podcast um but i kind of like shifted and i saw things started to, to see things that I was like, oh, this is wrong. Um, but then, like, other people would disagree with me. And I started, like, wondering, like, why, like, wh- like where is this disagreement even stemming from? Like, clearly, like, this is something that is um, that is wrong. And, and digging deeper, like, I started to realize that only uh, white people were disagreeing with me on this. And then, like, uh, friends of color, like, knew, like, the, like, totally, like, 
were on the same page, like, hey, this is wrong. And I started to realize, like, the, the difference, the gap was, uh, was racism uh, was playing a factor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, and, and for you to be open and honest about that um, as you start out this letter, and, uh, you know, maybe we'll post this letter on the loveyoungwalls.org blog. So uh, if you guys want to go back and read it, uh, just to, uh, you know, you know, listen to Johnny's words or read Johnny's words with, uh, I think that would be awesome. But when we frame this idea of racism, um, cause even, you know, a, a sentence down, you say, but what I knew then was if a black kid was walking through a wealth, wealthier neighborhood, a neighborhood with a history of break-ins, none of us would should be alarmed if they ended up shot, man, that that's kind of deep though. And what I want you to explain is, do you think that that view of um, how, how was that idea form formulated in you? Was it is it environmental? Is it contextual? You know, because you know, it, if a, a a person of color was listening to this, they would say that statement alone was uh, it was racial. Um, but you don't stay there. You move out of that. And, you know, talk to us a little bit about that, man. Right. Yeah. So I think that would, that was a viewpoint that was, um, partly from my lack of proximity to people, um, who did not look like me. Mm. Um, so like I did not grow up around many black people, mm. to be honest, there was a one or two black families in my entire neighborhood of 120 families wow um so as you can see like there's like there's a uh it's a proximity yeah, gap. It's a proximity gap yeah and then again part of it was part of that idea i think was reinforced through media mm. which which we we have to uh you know lift up this you know this idea of if if we're going to combat any type of racial injustice that we have you, we've got to pay attention to the way that uh, imagery is portrayed of black life and, uh, you know, finding ways to deconstruct those false narratives. So uh, thank you for mentioning that. But you, you go on down in the second paragraph, man, and it's almost like you're having this realization that you weren't actually thinking about what his mom may have felt. And these words are powerful. You said... Um, I wasn't thinking about your family as I was sharing all of the reasons why I thought you shouldn't have been where you were, uh, when you were. I wasn't thinking about your grieving mother who didn't tuck you in at night and listen to how your day was, who didn't spend sleepless nights with you as a baby, who didn't go through labor pains and who, beaming with pride, didn't watch uh, you grow up, grow a little more every day, only to see you laid in a coffin because some grown man was scared scared of you. So it's also it's almost like you're having this epiphany that um, this this whole ordeal could have been racially mo motivated, and you started to move into a place where you were conscious about how this could affect Trayvon's family. It, is it that's yeah? Know. So like. Man, I think, and a lot of us do this on, on different things we see in the news and media, like we forget that there are, are real people 
tied to every single story of tragedy we see on the news. Um, and it can be easy to have an opinion about something without feeling empathy. Mm. Empathy is a, is a really great word. And why, why do you think that is though? Um, yeah, I think there's like just an obvious like separation when we see something on the internet or on the TV, like it's not happening there in front of us. In most cases, it's not, uh, happening to somebody we know. Mm. So we, we, it's almost like just, I don't know if I want to say like entertainment, uh, but I think in a lot of ways media can become that. And it's just something to talk about. It's not, it's not really real to us. Yeah. And yeah, I think that is, uh, true if it doesn't affect, uh, you know, you personally, uh, specifically, because I can remember, uh, when I found out, uh, Trayvon was, uh, killed, um, man, it invoked so much. I was upset. I was angry. I was sad. I was filled with sorrow. Um, and you know, I'm looking at a black life. I'm a black man in in this country. And I I thought about my own son, um, and how I would have felt if I would have gotten that call. I know what I go through and struggle through each and every day of my life, even to this day. And to see images of this young kid laying on the ground was, it was heartbreaking. And immediately how media rushed to try to unpack how wrong this kid was. I mean, he was a kid, right? And that added an extra layer of this racial dynamic of how uh, black lives are, are viewed, man. And uh, what I appreciate about your your letter, letter is not only that you're honest, but you're also uh, starting to have this this almost narrative shift and how uh, you're actually seeing racial dynamics, but also how you are also valuing black life. Um, and a couple of years after that, Mike Brown was killed and you mentioned Mike Brown. Could you talk a little bit about why? Yeah, so I think that is where you would say that like the real shift in my perspective came about. Mm. And when I was talking earlier about how I started to see things happening around me that were wrong yeah, and that certain people wouldn't agree with me, uh, the shooting of uh, Mike Brown was one of those things. Mm. Um, I forget how many times he was shot. Um, yeah, I think you, you had six times in here. Yeah. Yeah. Six times and... I mean, in my, in my mind at that time, uh, before like even race had started to come into, in my mind, like as that being an issue involved, I was just thinking like, what, what on earth would justify someone shooting someone else without a gun six times? Mm. Like no matter who, who it would have happened to, like, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have been able to justify that. And like, I had shared that opinion on Facebook and people like attacked me for it. Mm. And I was sitting there like thinking like there's obviously like some kind of like narrative gap uh, taking place here that I don't understand. Like, why do we not all agree that this is wrong? Mm. And then I started to dig in a little more and uh, talk to people who uh, like people of color and coming to find out like this is a common narrative, even if it's not necessarily one that is, uh, you know, on the media at the, at the moment, but like, this is something common that happens. And what is going on is people are, 
are disagreeing with me because they already have this narrative in their mind constructed about Mike Brown mm. that he was immediately and by default in the wrong. Right. And when I started to, you know, dissect that, it's really because people saw he was black and mm. he was shot by a white officer. So clearly the black man was in the wrong. Mm. And that's, that's touchy ground for you, man. Um, and even you making statements like this will probably rub somebody or some people to rub w- wrong way because it has. And, uh, Talk to us a little bit, bit about even, you know, the things that you've gone through by speaking out uh, about the value of uh, black life and um, how you respect black life because we're all created in the image of God, man. How, how, did, how, how have you gotten through, you know, the recoil for you speaking out? Yeah. So even like immediately, like when I, like I said, when I started sharing about Mike Brown, like, Man, people I went to church with, like, um, distanced themselves for me or, like, would call me things like communist and... Are you serious? Liberal. Yeah, like, I'm like... I you don't would even, call communist yeah, and liberal like, because yeah, like, you say... I, like, I don't even know how, like, communism would play into that um, wow. <laughs> at all. But basically, like, people treated me different and for even speaking out about that. Mm. And, man... uh are you still treating different? Yeah, to yeah, this day? by a lot of people. Um, hmm. I think by now, like everyone is just kind of like they're either okay with it or they've already like distanced themselves. If that makes sense. Wow, but that distance hasn't stopped you from seeing the truth, though. No, because at the end of the day, like I, I feel like it's the truth that matters, not necessarily um, like my need to to feel approval from other people Mm. wow and in this letter man you're you're apologizing talk talk to us a little bit about what you're apologizing for and what motivated you to actually uh you know write this letter because even down in the letter you you mentioned uh trayvon but you also mentioned mike brown and terrence crutcher and there have been many other African-Americans that um, or black people that have been killed by uh, police officers. Uh, I think about Eric Gardner uh, that was choked um, literally to death when he had asthma and he was saying that he couldn't breathe. I think about uh, Philando Castile. I think about all of the, the individuals, um, Tamir Rice, all of the individuals that uh, had their, have had their lives taken. Um, so talk to us a little bit about uh, what it, what motivated you to apologize and uh, where are you in this process current? Yeah, so what kind of motiv- motivated me to, to apologize? Like, man, I think we see more and more like a lot of white people um, becoming aware of racism and starting to speak out against it, but they kind of like magically forget that that was them uh, not too long ago and they don't like denounce themselves first. And I feel like as a Christian, like, um, one core part of Christianity is repentance. Mm. Like, and I felt like if I was really going to take, uh, combating racism seriously, like I had to, uh, come out clean, uh, as someone like who was racist Mm. and I had to, um, confess my own sins and, uh, just as a starting point of even entering into this narrative. Wow. 
that's that's huge, man, to acknowledge that and to um, not only ask God to uh, change your heart and and move towards a place where uh, you have this self awareness of uh, just not even you know just not <laughs> it's almost like you start out your letter talking about you not being in the know. And I think uh, you becoming in, in the knowledge of uh, these cultural dynamics uh, like pushed you into a place where you wanted to uh, be different, right? And uh, as we as we move forward or as you move forward, you know, how, how are you actually uh, becoming more proximate, uh, making yourself even more aware, educating yourself now um, to to help uh, take a stand against uh, racial injustice. Yeah, so I mean, uh, there are a bunch of different ways I'm, I'm trying to do that. Um, of course, like building personal relationships with people who are black and people who, uh, you know, are Latino or uh, even Asian, like listening to their story, mm. uh, their own narrative, like what has been your experience in America. And coming to realize that it's a good bit different from my own, and um, just even becoming aware about that fact. But then also like reading uh, books on the topic, and hmm. um, when I see a story in the media, like I sit there and be like, okay, who who has control over this narrative, and what agenda are they trying to push with it, and hmm. um, what are stories that are related to it where uh, the circumstances were different and had like a different narrative push around it. Yeah. Wow. And you also make a statement here, man, and you say color is good and to be blind to its beauty is to be blind to part of the beauty of God. That's a powerful statement. And, uh, you know, as you're talking about moving into a place where you're uh, taking a stand against uh, racial injustice, uh, this idea of uh, color blindness, man, because you sometimes uh, I, I cringe when I'm around people who say, you know, I don't see color uh, when in actuality that is disrespectful uh, to people who ha- have color. And you can't say that uh, at, a, at a at a red light, you know. You can't run a red light and say, well, I don't see color. You're right, you're right. <laughs> you have an accident and a ticket. Right. Um, but uh, you, you talk a little bit about the idea of color being good and that God uh, uh, is masterful in design because uh, God created color and uh every ethnicity or nationality should be celebrated. And to say that you do not see color is to say that I also uh, uh, don't respect uh, your color. Talk a little bit about what made you write that, man. Yeah, so I almost feel like saying like you're you're colorblind or like I don't see color. It's almost like saying God was wrong and making people different colors, Mm. you know? Yeah. And obviously that is problematic in of itself if you are a believer. Um, but even just like on a different level, like why, why can you not see color? Like, why does that, like, why can't you just treat someone as human regardless of what color they are? Why do you have to take color out of the equation to even do that? Right. Right. Which is, you know, 
it, what would you say to someone who says that though? Uh, who who is probably white like right. you? Uh, I think it depends on who they are because often like <laughs> I'll kind of be like sarcastic, like oh. Like, oh, man, like you can't see color. Like, that must be hard for you. Like, <laughs> And, uh, you know, no no offense to people who are actually colorblind. Uh, right, yeah. But uh, if you're a person that sees color and you say that you don't, I, I, we what we're trying to do is is uh, ask you to reevaluate um, your position. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, once I move beyond the sarcasm, like I try to open up a little more serious dialogue mm. when we realize, like, hey, we're obviously talking about race, yeah, uh, not color in general. So I'm like, what? Like, I would ask, like, why do you feel the need to not see color? Like, I've I've had um, like friends who are like Latino and Latina say to me, like, that people have come up to them and and said that they've always seen them as white. Mm. I'm like, why? Like why do why do you feel the need to uh, have to perceive someone in that way in order to like them? Right. Because in reality, like when someone says they don't see color, what they really mean is like, hey, I I try to see everybody as white. Like I have to wow. see everybody as white before I can, I guess, treat them as a human. Wow. Which I mean, of course, someone would say, oh no, that's not that's not it. Like I don't see any difference at all. But when it comes down to it, like if if you have to get to that point where you have to totally ignore somebody's race and uh, their culture and all that, like what are you doing? You're, you're viewing them as yourself, as your yeah. own. You're replacing their narrative with your own in order to accept them. Accept them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, even hearing it put that way from a person who is white. And uh, I thank you for your perspective. But like when I've heard people tell me, um, you know uh, that they don't see color and stuff. Oftentimes, that that feels very. I feel very disrespected. Um, because there is more to just my hue. Uh, there's a heritage. Yeah. There's a culture. There is value. Uh, there's great contribution. Um, there's history. Uh, there's so many things that when a person says that sweeping statement, that feels like. Wow, I'm not worthy enough to be seen. Yeah, like I mean, in reality, what they're saying is like, "Hey, I don't even see you as a like as an individual." Yeah, and I, you know, connecting this back to even your letter, man. How how do you think that plays a part of? Uh, I know you you're talking about uh, Terrence Crutcher towards the latter part of the letter, and uh, you know, we were on. I th- yeah, I was walking from Atlanta to Washington, D.C. You were with me doing this campaign called Map 16. And I remember when I was we, we were in North Carolina or, or just passing, uh, you know, uh, through North Carolina when we found out Terrence Critcher was shot. And I remember how that rocked me. I could tell it rocked you. Uh, and this was like building up. I, and I had no idea that you would were, were going through this uh this deconstruction, uh, but also like this rebuilding of how you uh, see, uh, you know, race and uh, racial injustice in this country. And um, how, so how do you think the color blindness connects back to um, why people uh, kind of like typecast or stereotype black life? 
but greater than that, um, you know, what were you going through at the time Terrence Crutcher uh, was killed when we were on this campaign? Yeah, well, I mean, like, so at face value, like, uh, not seeing color seems like it would be a, a good idea and that it would work. Yeah. But then when you come across uh, something like the shooting of Terrence Crutcher, where obviously race played a, uh, a, a part in that, uh, in the killing of him, like, that police officer saw color. Mm. Um, yeah. And so, like, but... If, if you choose not to see color, like you're choosing to not see that part of the narrative and it just becomes like another, like, oh, someone else just got shot. Um, like, and you don't see the, I guess the, it's the history behind it and the context of the shooting. Mm. And uh, so you, from the get go, you're going to miss out on that whole narrative. But at the time of the shooting of, of Terrence Crutcher, like I, um, was a little farther along in my deconstruction progress or process, but this was like the first time I'd actually ever uh, like been with somebody like like somebody who was black and like having being able to see them like hear the news of a, of a black man getting killed. Like I'd never never experienced that before, and like actually being able to see the emotions that you were going through yeah. um, had an effect on me. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. Wow. I, I didn't even know that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it did affect me, man. Um, I remember, you know, when I found out, because I was already, like, nervous of walking through, like, rural areas and, like, you know, uh, being a... Uh, a black man walking, uh, you know, I was walking for a good cause, but still like, uh, I never knew if somebody was going to call the police on me like they did on map 18, you know, walking towards Memphis or if someone would like feel threatened because I was a black man walking. And, uh, when I heard that, you know, I remember my phone lighting up, man, like you better be safe walking out there. Somebody could like, a police officers could do the same thing to you, man. And I was just like, Whoa, this is real. And I felt very, uh, vulnerable. Um, and I, I don't even, I was grieving. I was, uh, filled with sorrow. Uh, you know, I remember, um, we had just walked through, well, I had just walked through out of, uh, Charlotte and like, remember like a week or two later, another guy, black man was killed in Charlotte and there was a, like a riot and it was just like, whoa, like this is something that is becoming more widespread. And yeah, I was, I was just broken, man. Um, I don't know, man. It, I, I, I still get chills, uh, from it even to this day, uh, thinking back about that man. And I, I'm, I'm thankful that guy allowed me to, to get to the other side, but yeah, it was a hard, it was a hard moment and it's still hard, uh, because I still, you know, wrestle with, uh, different scenarios. Um, like I, I think in another podcast, I mentioned, uh, being a, a, a black speaker for this event and having people follow me around, um, another, another time, uh, <laughs> uh, this white lady walked up to me, uh, mid fifties and asked if I was the janitor <laughs> and I was 
you know, a part of the event as a partnering organization. And like, um, there are times when, you know, even to this day, when I'm pulled over to, by the police, I was, I remember I was coming back from this, this event, it was a gathering for leaders in uh, South Carolina and I'm driving through Aiken and I get pulled over. And I, I remember, uh, my wife was with me and she says, whatever you do, you know, don't do anything. And like literally every time I get pulled over, I stick my hands out the window um, just as a precaution because I saw the officer walk into the car with his hand on his, you know, gun. Or even the times when I was walking uh, to Memphis and we were on map 18 and how people kept calling the police on me, man, it was uh, you know, I remember that one particular time we were walking. We weren't even out of Georgia yet. I mean, we were going like uh, towards Paulding County, and I had a couple walkers with me. And the police's uh, police officers rolled up like real fast with their hands on their guns. Man, each time it still like does something to me uh, because it it makes it real that I am a person of color in this country, and uh, there are certain uh, people. Who are racist uh, that see my skin or my hue as a threat? Yeah, and so I guess for me at that point, or up until that point, like yeah. the, even like the idea of uh, racism was like kind of like it was almost like purely intellectual for me. Mm. Like it didn't, uh, I guess, have real effect until I was able to see that, and then it became more personal, and it was like, oh, this is happening, like this is a real issue for someone I care about. Mm. It's not just something like a moral issue anymore. Like it's a, it almost like became like my problem now. Wow. Like I remember like one instance, for instance, uh, when we were on uh, map 18 and like, we had just started the day and you called me and like with palpable fear in your voice saying that like a, a cop had just pulled up on you. I remember like, get in the car like, like you know like <laughs> yeah like flooring it like going 90 down this like little back road like trying to get to you yeah and, like it was like instinct at that point like it like i was like man he's like out there with a cop like i don't know what's gonna happen right man oh yeah i, I remember that bro and it, you know it, it it's even like uh you know a shame that <laughs> You know, I had to, you know, give an excuse of, or or, or not excuse, but give a a reason as to why I was walking. <laughs> right, you like know? you had to have a good reason. Like, yeah, hey, this is a national campaign. Like, look at these news articles. Like, yeah, and I I remember uh, even another time uh, where a friend named James was walking with me and. Uh, there was a guy walking uh, who was white on one side of the road and I was walking on the other side of the road and he was walking with me and the police stopped me and didn't stop the other guy. And I mean, he was furious about that. And it was just like, really? <laughs> you know, uh, nobody else is calling about other people walking, but, you know, a black person walking in certain in areas or environments um uh people are being called and yeah uh it's just it's one of those things man you know even to this day uh 
like you're talking about this idea of respecting, uh, you know, all life because each, each and every person is precious, uh, to God. Um, and, uh, this idea of love is what personally grounds me and keeps me going, you know? Um, and I think that's what you're trying to say, uh, as we near the end of your letter, um, I'll, I'll quote you. You say, uh, there are those, uh, like I used to be, uh, still trapping themselves in it. I hope, and I know it can mean nothing uh, to you now. Uh, if I can change, others can too. I pray it may be. I know I will still fail. I won't speak uh, out against racism as much as I should. Uh, there's still fear in my heart. Even still, my voice shakes. Uh I know this uh, will probably not be my last apology. I also know this apology cannot atone for uh, the past, but it still must be said. I must realize my guilt and take part in the shame because on the night you were shot, my finger uh, was on the trigger as well. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Um, What are you thinking about as you're writing this? Yeah, so uh, writing that, like, I think I was just thinking about my own uh, complacency still. Like, mm. um, like it's still, like, man, it, it can, uh, I know, like, uh, this is would mean something totally different for you, but, like, it's exhausting even to speak out against it. And, like, as someone who can take a, take a break, uh, if you will, uh, from speaking out against racism because it doesn't in reality like affect my own personhood mm. at all like I can check out if I want to at any time and it doesn't like I can I could go on with my life yeah uh, whereas someone like you could not like there's no way you can um, you know change who you are what you look like there I mean racism is always gonna be an issue uh, personally for you um, right and just kind of like I guess in this part, like I'm acknowledging my own, um, complacency still, Mm. if that makes sense. Like, uh, I, like I, I didn't want to like set myself up as someone who like had it all together now and was like some like perfect, uh, like completely, uh, free from, uh, all complacency and being able to speak out like, Man, like I still like, it's still like hard and something I like have to push through. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, I would imagine it's hard because, you know, uh, you said that you know it's kind of like um, isolated you in many in many ways, and you're still working through that isolation. But let me ask you this though, as we. Uh, you know, get near the end and, and close. What would you say to those people that uh, wrongly perceived you and in your stance and uh, speaking out? And how would you encourage others who may uh, be in the same place where you once were uh, in thinking about uh, helping to deconstruct their own uh, you know, racist ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
man. Um, I would say like uh, seek the truth. Mm. Like not um, you, you have to be okay with being wrong. Uh, to for one, like like you can't uh, go into any of this conversation on the defensive. Like you have to be able to listen and um, I guess become proximate mm. to people and and their lives and not uh not just set out to like defend your own viewpoint mm. and um man i would also say like i guess deconstruct the narratives like you've already built up as well mm. and then like replace those with just actuality with reality mm. that's good and and what would you say to those those people in the past that have wrongly, uh, you know, I guess, seen you in the wrong view for taking your stance? Man, um, I don't really know if there's anything to be said anymore. Like, yeah. I almost feel like I've, like, I'm not going to change my mind. Um, like, and, like, I guess what what I would say to them is, like, this is, like, conviction from God. Like, this isn't just, like, me... Um, like falling into like some trend or mm. some populist ideology. Like this is like real tangible conviction I feel. Yeah. And it's not uh, me trying to be anything but obedient to God. Mm. And yeah. for them to, to dismiss that, um, man, it goes beyond me. Like, like you're, you're dismissing the work of God in someone like you're slandering the Holy Spirit almost. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, this letter is, is one that, uh, my friend Johnny, uh, felt compelled to write. Um, and there are many other stories out there. I know we didn't get a chance to mention, uh, many more stories of, of racial injustice, but, uh, it was really cool to uh, discuss um, Trayvon's life with you and in, in your letter. And I hope that if someone listens to this message or this podcast, that they would to be moved to uh, see the truth and, uh, you know, take steps towards getting proximate to people that do not look like you, you know, walk like you or even come from the same types of environment. Um, because as you said, man, they, there has to be some self-actualization and realization, um, of where you stand in this conversation before any bridges can be built. Um, and yeah, would you say? Yeah, I, I would say so. And I think like we all are going to start in this conversation at like a different place. Yeah. And I would say that's okay to an extent as long as we're moving forward yep. and not um, not being willing to be complacent and staying where we are and staying entrenched in our own perspective and opinion and uh, um, wrong narrative. Yeah. So uh, going forward, man, are you going to continue to speak out? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said in that sentence, like I haven't always spoken out at when I should. And um, sometimes like I'm even like, struggling like the means to do so like man do i just throw out another tweet is that even enough is that even appropriate like mm. 
it, 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 like, I mean, what is the action I should take in this? Yeah. So I still, I even like wrestle with that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, are you speaking out to other white people? Yeah. 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 Um, which I guess is one of the more important parts is like in your own, uh, personal relationships, like you've got to, you've got to hold people accountable. Mm. And like, I've noticed like people, uh, won't bring up the subject with me or around me anymore. Like, because they're going to have differing opinions. Yeah. And like, they know, like, man, like it's not, it's not going to be okay if I say this because I'm going to get called out. Right. What's good. Well, thank you for calling people out, man. And, uh, taking a stance against, uh, racial injustice and, uh, even uh, being honest about your own personal uh, journey of, you know, growing and, uh, uh, you know, sharing your own process of, of you know, where you are today. So I think this was a, a, a great podcast. We don't want to overwhelm you guys, but um, Johnny, man, you want to shout out your socials and yeah. Yeah. So, um, Man, if you liked anything you heard on this podcast, like we release episodes every week and I would encourage you to subscribe and like and listen and write a review if you feel led to. Um, but you can find me on social media at Johnny Taylor 95. Um, that's J O H N N Y T A Y L O R 95. And Terrence, what about you? Where, where can they find you on social? Yeah, man, it's uh, I'm Terrence Lester. That's I-M-T-E-R-E-N-C-E-L-E-S-T-E-R. Uh, that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, you can follow our organization, Love Beyond Walls, and our Dignity Museum. Uh, that's at Dignity Museum on the same social accounts. Uh, we really appreciate you guys for listening and hope that you'll tune in next week. Yep. Oh, and just... Uh add one more thing all hate mail can be sent to uh, what address <laughs> uh, I don't care yeah, right. at gmail because yes. it would be gmail yeah alright <laughs> right. yeah thank you guys alright